And I want you to welcome a guy that um, the next time you're struggling to get your children from your front door to Safeway parking lot without a meltdown, without crying and tears and struggle, you're chucking crackers at them, you're trying to calm them down, I want you to welcome a guy that can get his family of four girls from his front door all the way down to a tribe in Brazil, which has, I'm sure, untold challenges to it, and he does it all without a single tear, no whining, zero fussing, nothing but praise and glory for the Lord. So welcome up Kurt Jones. He also walks on water. I'm looking forward to meeting this guy, whoever he is. <clears throat> well, hey, it's a, it's a privilege to be a guest speaker here today. Um, uh, our hearts are so closely knitted to what the Lord is doing here at uh, Neighborhood Bible Church. And uh, to be able to visit with you, I, I realize I'm a brand new face for some folks here today. And that thrills my heart even more to know that uh, God is at work and doing neat things here. For us to see those pictures of Mexico uh, really, again, was very, very touching and encouraging to see the growth of that ministry. Um, I just want to know, is Jim still addicted to those Michoacan ice cream uh, bars? Yeah, you still? Okay, there's a recovery group for that, Jim, that you can get into. Um, yeah, you know, Dave mentioned that, uh, that we had the opportunity to, uh, to do some uh, travel this summer and asked me to um, share just a little bit about it. I, uh, I have 1,700 pictures to show, uh, so I have ex- exercised extreme self-restraint, and I just have 10 uh, that I'm going to show you. If you'd like to come over tonight at 6 o'clock, our house, I'll show you the rest of the 1,700. No, just kidding. Um, in Acts chapter 3, um, where we're preaching through at Valley, God does this amazing miracle through this guy Peter, and he, heal, he heals a, la- a lame man. And he does it at a very personal level. And um, one of the things that's been exciting about a lifetime of ministry and to have parents that are involved in a lifetime of ministry is it's very personal. And so we were able to take this personal trip um, back to Brazil. Uh, Val grew up there. Her mom and dad were Wycliffe Bible translators, and so even though they retired, uh, we've been planning this trip for about 10 years to go back and to visit this tribe. And so we were able to, uh, to go back in uh, to the tribe. Uh, we landed in Belang, which is a large city up on the mouth of the Amazon. Uh, we took an all-night um, bus to, uh, to uh, a town nearby. We took another eight-hour bus ride after that, slept overnight, and then we got on this four-wheel drive truck. Uh, for six hours through the bush. Every single one of those seats has a seat belt, I assure you, and an airbag. Uh, no, we were jammed in the back of this truck, and uh, it was very bumpy. I have other pictures, but they're all blurry because <laughs> we were bumping all over the place. And uh, we pulled into the tribe, and this is, uh, I don't know what to call it, but it's but it's not technological. It's mud huts, thatch roofs. Uh, they hunt with uh, arrows and bows and uh, muzzle-loading shotguns. Uh, they're, before the gospel came, completely enslaved to the spirit world, uh, completely in the dark. Uh, before Val's mom and dad 
moved in there. They had no written language at all. They had a spoken language, but no written language. And uh, so for 25 years, Val's mom and dad and, and Val as well lived among this tribe. And um, in 1990, they dedicated the New Testament and then, and then moved. And so this is a, a, uh, a chance for us to come back. And as soon as we pulled into the village, we were just surrounded and um, just mobbed hundreds and hundreds of people who came to see them. Now, the average lifespan is about uh, you know, somewhere between 55 and 60, so a lot of the people had died, but um, there were a lot of tearful reunions. And again, the nature of ministry is it's life on life. It's personal. And so there were just some very tearful reunions. And in the Canela tribe, when you come back from someplace... Their culture says that they hang on your neck and they cry. And it's not just like a boo-hoo, sorry you were gone. But it's this just wailing, wailing cry. And uh, I won't demonstrate it for you, but just picture, if you can, uh, people. And they pull you down to the floor. And it was mainly with Val and her mom and dad and her sisters. But it was just a tearful... um, uh, just a cheerful uh, reunion. And there are just kids everywhere. This is a very distinctive tribe. They have a very particular haircut. Their homes are arranged in a circle like a wagon wheel. Uh, it's very, very interesting and uh, um, was just quite an experience to be there. And so there were some really neat reunions. And they welcomed us in. We were adopted into the tribe. Our kids were given Indian names. And they were... Um, Part of that process is they painted them. This is a, a fruit that they use. And then if you've seen any National Geographic from the Amazon, you, you're probably familiar with this. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so, so that's, that was all part of that process. So uh, we were all painted up. I got my hair cut in the uh, Canela uh, Cut Tribe. And we got all, we got all uh, um, painted up. Somebody who saw this picture said, man, Jones, you were really white <laughs> compared to these Indians and compared to most people. It's true. Uh, the, the white on Val are actually feathers. They take a resin from a tree and they rub that on her and then stick feathers on. It's a way of showing honor uh, and uh, takes hours and hours to get off. It's a blessing that keeps on giving. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this is our whole family. There were 15 of us that were able to go. So, again, ministry is personal. But just as in Acts chapter 3, the thing about ministry is it goes way beyond your own efforts. Because Peter healed this lame man, and in the ensuing hours after that, the Bible says that 2,000 people got saved. And as touching and as exciting it was for us to go to Brazil and to see all this, the most exciting thing is, that God's Word is there. This is a Canela believer reading the Bible in his own language. And uh, the church continues there. Believers continue there. And so um, uh, there's a German missionary couple that are continuing to serve the church. And, and so that's what it's really about. And uh, anyway, these are just a couple of the pictures that I wanted to share with you and uh, let you know that, man, it's exciting to be part of what God is doing and... Uh, Mindy and uh, those and Philip and the others who are part of the GO team, global outreach team here at Neighborhood Bible Church, just want to encourage you guys and thank you for being on the front edge. And Jenny, for your testimony about 
being unwilling, and yet somehow God uses you and changes your heart in the process. And that's, and that's really neat. So, uh, take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 20. Uh, I've got a story for the kids here today from uh, Sunday school class, and it's going to test you. Now, Tori, I'm looking at you to see if you're going to give me the right answer here, okay? Uh, story is told of a Sunday school teacher who, uh, who was working with her class one day and said, Okay, now class, pay attention. I've got a question for you. I want you to tell me what it is. It's furry and has a big fluffy tail and runs around in trees. Okay, now, this, this class of kids wasn't as smart as, as these kids are. Because they looked at her and said, you know, with this blank look on her face. They just couldn't under, they couldn't get it. So she gave them some more hints. She says, come on now, class. It hides nuts. And it, and it, and it, and it you know, it scampers around. And finally one little boy raised his hand and said, you know, teacher, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> you were right. It's a squirrel. Sometimes in church or in Sunday school, we're, we're tempted to give the right answer, right? The right answer is Jesus to the answer to everything. I was preaching one day and I asked this question about something. And uh, I said, you know, who was it that went on the first missionary journey? And somebody snapped their head up and said, Jesus. And I was like, well, I guess you could take it that way. That wasn't what I was looking for, but, you know, we were preaching in Acts or something like that, right? Well, sometimes we do that. Last week, Dave's message on, on the resurrection of Jesus, he made this statement. And, and again, I, uh, thanks for the web team. You guys put this together and are able to listen to the message. If you miss a week, you're just able to, to jump right into it there. But Dave said this, and I agree completely. Whether or not Jesus rose from the dead is one you need to have figured out. Okay. Now, the right answer is Jesus rose from the grave. Here at NBC, we believe Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins, and on the third day, He rose again. We believe that. It's rock solid. The question that I want to look at today, and, and I think Dave's going to follow it up again next week, is how do you engage that question? How, how do you interface with, with that issue? Because remember, it's a miracle. Remember, it's not natural. Remember, it's completely beyond the scope and the scale of human understanding to get that. So how do you engage that question in your heart and in your mind? Now, uh, I, I'm going to betray the fact that I'm a, I'm a Trekkie. Okay, I don't have the little pointed ears, but I, I really am a Trekkie. Okay? Some of you are like Mr. Spock. Okay? It must be logical. All right, you are just logic, right? You engage things from a scientific perspective. You want empirical proof. You want to give me all the facts. And you line them up, and that's very important for you. Some of you, on the other hand, are like Dr. McCoy. Right? I call him Emo McCoy. Right? He's all about the emotions. You know, well, what's it mean, and how do I feel about it? And, you know, and that's the important thing for you. You engage the resurrection of Jesus at an emotional level. Some of you are engineers. You're Scotty. Give me enough time, Captain, and I'll figure it out. You know, I'll come up with, an, with, a, with a way of figuring out how I can make this all work. And some of you are Captain Kirk. You know, why can't we just all get along together, right? 
I mean, you'll figure out some way to, you know, kind of just, you know, what's true, what's false. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to make it work. Look in your Bibles, John chapter 20, verse 8. The beloved disciple runs in and four words, saw, he, he saw and believed. Now, wouldn't it be great if we were all like John? He didn't see Jesus. He didn't have an angel talk to him. He saw a, a cloth that was piled over uh, uh, up where the body should have been. And he saw and believed. Amazing. He remembered what Jesus said. Remembered the prophecies. We don't even really know what the process is. It just says it. But think about the other people in the story. Peter. Peter looked in. And at the end of the passage that Dave preached on last week, it says, and he went home. Luke chapter 24 verse 12 says that he pondered these things in his heart and wondered what happened. Peter had not believed. We're, we're going to explore Mary's journey here a little bit in the, in the, in the verses that follow. We're going to take a little look at the disciples, but it says the disciples did not believe. In fact, they heard what the women say that we're going to look at today, and they thought it was ridiculous. And then next week we get to look at Thomas. <laughs> Doubting Thomas. Why is this so important? This issue is critical for our understanding because doubt and questioning and wondering and processing is healthy for us. I'm reading this book called The Reason for God. And in it, Tim Keller says this, People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of a tragedy or the probing questions of a smart critic. If your spirituality, if your reasons for believing are not examined, well, they might go along fine for a while. Hey, Dave said it. I respect Dave. Dave's a smart guy. That's good enough. But at some point in time, you will come along and come up against something where a robust faith, a strong faith, goes more than just somebody else said it, but it goes more down to, I believe it. And, and I believe it with all my heart. A failure to engage doubts will result in a bland and weak Christianity. If becoming a Christian just sort of means nodding to, assenting to a set of, of, of ideas and that, we, that, we, that we all say yes to, that we all kind of vote the same way, all kind of drive the same car, all kind of speak the same language, if that's what it is just to be in the club, then it's not really very strong. According to a, a study by Fuller Theological Seminary, denominations and youth workers have estimated that between 65 to 94 percent of their high school students stop attending church after they graduate from high school. Now, I don't know about you, but as the father of four kids coming up in church, that gives me great concern. Why is that? Is it because we haven't really engaged our heart, mind, soul, and strength into the questions regarding the resurrection of Jesus? Because as Dave said, it really rises and falls on that. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, the Apostle Paul says, then we are of all people most to be pitied because we've given ourselves to a lie. 
good evangelical tradition says, hey, believe it. Don't doubt. Don't raise questions. And I think we can see from Scripture that doubting and, and dialogue is an essential part of our faith. On vacation, I, I read this book, Philip Yancey, Reaching for an Invisible God. By the way, Dave gave a couple of really good books last week on the facts and issues surrounding the resurrection. Uh, uh, and if you want to get those from, from him, you can. I would also recommend these two. The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism by uh, Tim Keller. And then this one, um, Philip Yancey, Reaching for the Invisible God. But listen to what Yancey says about doubt. Martin Luther battled constantly with doubt and depression. For more than a week, Luther once wrote, Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy against God. The the Puritan Richard Baxter rested his faith on probabilities instead of full, undoubted certainties. Increase Mather wrote uh, entries in his diaries such as, I was greatly molested with temptations toward atheism. I mean, these guys are like foundational guys of the Christian church, and they struggled with doubt? Yancey goes on to say, he says, there's a category of the loyal traitor. And, and, and it takes a while to wrap your mind around this, but the idea of a loyal traitor who questions, who squirms and rebels, and yet still remains loyal. God appears far less threatened by doubt than does his church. So, I encourage you in this. And, and let's see, let's take a journey with Mary and watch how she works through it. My title today is, Who is it you are looking for? Because that's exactly what Peter says. And there's five responses to the resurrection. And we're going to see them as we walk down through here. Now, these events are all recorded in all four Gospels. And and that makes putting them all together somewhat interesting. And uh, let's see, Dave, what time am I done? I just want to make sure, because I could talk probably until about 2 (laughs) o'clock. Tell me what time I should... 11.40. 11.40. Got it. 11.40. Okay. Um, can, I, can I have another answer? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, let's just dive right into it then. Chapter 20, verse 11, uh, 10. And the disciples went back home. That's where Dave answered, uh, finished last week, right? And then picking it up in verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. All right. The first response that Mary comes up with, number one, is a rational alternative to, to the resurrection. Look at it. She says, starting in verse, uh, there, the second part of verse 11, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where body, Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Here's her answer. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. Now that's the same thing she said to Peter and John in verse 2, Right? Now, the way this story probably goes is Luke chapter 24 says that at least five women went to the tomb uh, together. Mary uh, Magdalene, that is Mary from Magdala, uh, Mary the mother of, of, um, of James, uh, and several other women. Okay, So they all went. Now, the way the story, I think, goes is the five women went together, or at least five women went together. Mary pokes her head in and sees the body isn't there, and she splits. And the other four stay. She goes and gets Peter and John. Um, and, uh, 
And, uh, and then in Luke chapter 24, you see the story of what happens with the women. The women leave the tomb. Peter, uh, John comes back first, right? Peter comes second, looks in. Peter follows, believes, they leave. Now here's Mary. She's standing outside. And she peeks in again, and this time she sees the angels. Now, who is this Mary? Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 tells us that she was a group of faithful women, that Jesus had, had, had uh, taken seven demons out of her. So, I mean, Mary had been really a down and outer, a basket case. I mean, a, a lost person in her society. And Jesus, in His miracle-working, compassionate, loving ministry, had rescued her, and she followed Him. Uh, We find elsewhere that she uh, was with Him at the cross. I mean, she becomes part of this inner circle. And uh, so, to be revealed, to have Christ revealed to her as the very first person, is just amazing. But she didn't believe right away, right? She came up with this other idea. And as Dave said last week, many people have done this. Let's, let's come up with another alternative theory to the resurrection. I mean, maybe Jesus swooned and just, you know, rolled this two-ton rock from the inside out of the way. Maybe, you know, maybe that happened. I read somebody this week who said, yeah, his body was taken away and eaten by wild dogs. You know. uh, but for, again, all the reasons what, that Dave gave last week, the Roman guard, uh, uh, the changed lives of the disciples, just show that that's highly unlikely. Our culture, or every culture, tends to overemphasize some element of human experience. Science, rational thought, empirical evidence are all emphasized in a modern culture. And many of us are products of that culture. You may have struggled with the resurrection because you look at it and you say, Wait a minute, I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. Uh, that, that's impossible to happen. How could that really go, come about? Now remember how much harder it must have been for Mary. We have 2,000 years of culture of thinking about a resurrection. Maybe she'd heard Jesus talk about it. Maybe she hadn't. But here she is, and she's faced with that, and so she comes up with another idea. I had a friend who read the book, The Da Vinci Code. And and so uh, she said, oh, don't read it. It'll shake your faith. So, being stubborn like I am, I said, all right, I'm going to read it. I read this thing and I just started laughing. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is the best alternative idea they can come up with? I mean, it was entertaining fiction. But that was about it. I mean, you look at the facts and you look at the things and come up with, the, with what they put in place of Jesus as the Son of God. It's just ludicrous. I, I saw a movie this week uh, with Nicolas Cage. And, uh, and uh, they, they say it's that... that, that Angels and the supernatural and creation of the universe, it's all about aliens coming to Earth. Well, that's original. You know? You take these alternatives and you go down these roads and you find it takes more faith to believe these alternatives than it does a clear understanding of what happened to the Scriptures. Now, does that mean to say you shouldn't engage your rational thought? No, you, you have to. Especially if you're an engineer, John. If you're wired up that way, if you think about those kinds of things, of course you need to explore those things and look at them. But remember, it's a journey of faith. Dave said it last week. It's, it's not a test tube. You're not going to put some drops in a, in a beaker and recreate the resurrection of Christ. So, what this is about then is 
How do you deal with the fact that Christ rose from the grave? Um, The resurrection has plenty of rational evidence to support that there really was a Jesus, He really died on the cross, and He really rose from the grave. If that's the way your mind is, is wired, I encourage you, get some of those books that Dave talked about and dig into it. But there's a second response to the resurrection that Mary also does, and it's of overwhelming emotion. Verse 14. At this, that is, at this news from the, from, or at this interchange with the angels, it says, she turned around, this is verse 14, and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, he said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Now, the word used for weeping here, again, it's not just a little boo-hoo. It's that eastern wailing. It's this, this deep emotional uh, 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 lament. And she misses Jesus right in front of her. She's so blinded, tears in her eyes, blinded by the emotion that she can't see Christ in front of her. Now, she's still got this rational explanation in her head But now she's weeping. And of course she would be weeping. Jesus, her teacher, her rabbi, has been killed. His body now is missing. Remember why she came to the tomb early in the morning, right? It was to complete the burial process. Jesus had been buried in haste to to come under the regulation of the Passover. So his body had been put in in the tomb quickly. She came along with the other women to complete the burial process. She wanted to give him a proper burial. And she's got tears in her eyes and grief in her heart. How many times have I heard people say, why would a loving God allow such pain? He's either not powerful enough to do anything or he doesn't care. Why are you weeping? What, what an amazing question, eh? Because if you'd really trusted what Jesus said, you wouldn't have been weeping. If you really heard what He had said, and if you had faith like John, you wouldn't be weeping. And I don't know that this is a rebuke. In fact, even the, the language of the word woman, it's this gentle and kind kind of an approach. It's like, sweetheart, why are you weeping? But we can get overwhelmed by grief, by anger, by emotions, by fear. Who is it that you're looking for? Just what kind of Jesus did you have in mind, Mary? Is he just this dead teacher that had some good things to say? Uh, Was he a kind of a failed political leader? This man who was killed as a criminal? Is that who you're looking for, Mary? If modernity overemphasizes rationalism, then postmodernity overemphasizes emotion and experience. This is all about me, right? My needs, my emotions, my experience, my feeling. Boy, if it doesn't just set me straight and get me, you know, clicking on all eight cylinders, it must not be right. Now, does Jesus come to address the issues of emotion? Absolutely. A little bit later, we'll see where He comes and He says, Peace! Peace! 
But if that's all that it's about, our faith becomes very, very self-centered, egocentric, and frankly, not very strong. Because when the first words about Jesus come to us about being obedient, or doing something that involves self-sacrifice, to step out on faith, to do something we're not comfortable with, or may not want to go do, then we go, wait a minute, I thought this was all about me. It's not all about you. I'm not saying that emotion and personal experience aren't important. They are. But it's not all there is. And so look what Jesus does. Oh, this is awesome. Verse 16. And Jesus says to her, Mary. Now in the Greek, it says Miriam. That's the Hebrew. That's this this term of of intimacy and endearment. And she, I just picture it, she shakes her head and goes, wait, I recognize that voice now. That's Jesus. This, this overwhelming grief that I'd had before, now it cuts through and I go, wait a minute, this, this is Jesus. Look. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. And John translates that for his Greek speakers and says, teacher. She, she breaks through this grief and really sees Jesus for who He is. Now, she's not complete in her understanding yet, right? She just calls Him teacher. The other women we learn in Luke chapter 24 grab His feet, fall down, and worship Him. They, they probably had a little more complete understanding than Mary did. But where she was at the point in time, she said, Rabbi, and she grabs Him. And Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Now, some of your translations probably read this, don't touch me. I remember, uh, as a new believer, I always thought, that was weird. Maybe Jesus was like in some kind of space-time flux continuum right there, right? Where, like, if he had been touched, it would have interfered with the plasma. You know, I was a Star Trek fan, of course, you know. I'm looking for some scientific reason why Jesus wasn't supposed to be touched. That's not the idea. It's not, don't hang on to me. Clearly, Jesus wants to be touched. He tells uh, the disciples and he tells Thomas in just a couple of uh, verses here to touch him. So that's not it. He says, don't hang on to me like you're going to keep me. I haven't gone to the Father yet. That's where I'm headed. If you'd remember what I said, I'm I'm going to the Father. Don't hang on to me, Mary. Things are going to be different now. Davis, we were singing that song, The Glory of It All. I thought about that. After night, dawn is there. I mean, Mary's depression, her her hurt, her grief, and she wants it to be the same. But a new day is coming and we will never be the same. And that's why the resurrection is good news. Mary wanted to go back to the old way of doing things. I liked having Jesus around. I liked having Him here. Man, there was exciting miracles happen. And, And Jesus says, it's not going to be that way anymore. And so while personal relationship is important in understanding who He is, there's something even bigger than that that's coming. So she goes and she tells them, verse 18, I have seen the Lord. Now, she doesn't explain what about Him. Oh, sorry guys. Personal relationship. And she goes and tells him, and and the Scriptures say this, that the disciples did not believe her. Mark 16, 11. They heard that Jesus was alive and seen Him. They did not believe it. 
Luke 24, 11, their words seemed to them like nonsense. Yay! These are the, the foundation of the church. This is the inner circle. This is the eleven. And they did not believe her. It was nonsense. That's why I love the disciples. I mean, I just feel right at home with them, right? You know, they miss the point. They make mistakes. They blunder along and God still uses them. There's hope for me. The fourth response to the resurrection is fearful disbelief. Look at them. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, He showed them His hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed. It's Easter evening. The stuff that happened in the morning has gone by now. Mary has come. The women have come. They didn't believe Him. And now here they are. There it's evening. They're locked upstairs. I don't know if Thomas was there. Well, we know Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if Peter was there. I would assume that he was. It's likely that Jesus has already appeared to Peter sometime that afternoon. 1 Corinthians 15 says that, as well as Mark 16. So there have been these repeated appearances, and yet they didn't believe. In fact, and Jesus responds to them in verse uh, Mark 16:14 it says that he rebuked them for not believing he comes back but the first thing he says to them is peace now why would that be important for him to say well we find out that it says they think they thought he was a ghost and we laugh at that Again, but they saw him die. They knew he was dead. On the authority of a Roman guard, on paid professional killers, he was dead. And so they knew he was dead. And now all of a sudden, they see him again. They showed him his hands and feet. He showed him their hands and feet. He even gave him a piece of fish to eat, and he ate it. All evidence that he had risen from the grave. And they, finally, they believed. They had great joy. Again, this is somewhat of what Dave talked about last week. But the fact of the resurrection separates Jesus from the rest. Either He was, is risen from the grave, or He isn't. If He didn't, it's clear that He said He did. And as C.S. Lewis says, He's either a liar or a lunatic. There isn't much in between. So is Jesus just a nice, warm feeling that I can kind of tap into when I want to? Or did Jesus really do and say the things that He said? They hadn't believed. But the second thing is, they hadn't trusted. They were upstairs, afraid. Fear of the Jews. The question that they were wrangling with was, what was being associated with Jesus going to cost me? What would it cost me? And would it be greater than what I got out of it? And what this personal appearance by Jesus shows the disciples is, yes, it's worth it. Because what's at stake is eternity for you and for the world, as we're going to see in just a moment here. The fifth response is that of spiritual direction and power. We find this in verses 21 through 23. Jesus said, again, peace be with you. As a father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If any... If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, 
they're not forgiven. What did Jesus do in this last meeting with them? I believe that He had taken and given them opportunity to go through the emotion, to look at the rational arguments, to see Him and experience Him personally, to deal with their fears about what it's going to cost me, and then He gives them these marching orders. And He says, As the Father sent me, so send I you. John 17, all over again. It says, I'm, I'm leaving you. Your marching orders are given. Now Jesus would stay with them until Pentecost. And He had many, many opportunities but the point here is that Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going and it's your job now. In Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke gives us a little further insight into what Jesus said here. And this is just, it just goes back to God's heart for the world. He longs for the world to know. Ever since the beginning, it was not a, a, a something to be hung on to, but something to be given away. Verse 46, uh, uh, I love this. That is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. So there again, we have these marching orders of the church, this spiritual direction. But it's not just direction. He also gives them power. Whoops. He also gives them power. It says that He breathed the Holy Spirit. Onto them. That's a very interesting phrase, and, and uh, I'd love to go into that some more. Uh, Dave's smiling because he knows that commentators say, this is the most, one of the most controversial scriptures in the New Testament. Thank you, Dave. Uh, love to get those. Uh, but just a couple of alternatives. One is that it was a partial giving. These 11 guys, probably plus two, the two disciples from the Emmaus Road, they got the Holy Spirit at that time. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit would come on all the rest of the church. That's one idea. Another idea is that it was symbolic. Jesus breathed on them. He said, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit in order to get this, to get this job done. And then He went ahead and told them the job. The point is that the Spirit was necessary equipment for them to do what what lay ahead. And that was to preach the Gospel. So, the Spirit comes. Just a little bit later, Acts chapter 2, we see this, this momentous occasion of where Old Testament Scriptures in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah are fulfilled. A heart of flesh is given to those at a heart of stone. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, breaks forth. Uh, again, you guys study John 14, John 16, the ministry of the Spirit, so I won't go over that again. And then verse, um, the last verse, verse 23, is... He gave them the good news. And again, the language here is a little bit complex because it makes it sound like I can decide who's forgiven of sins and who's not. But really the way it should be understood is that what Christians do is announce the message of forgiveness. I don't forgive sin. Only God forgives sin. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 7. God and God alone can do that. What we can do is tell people this amazing news. And don't miss how this is tied into the resurrection. Right? Christ came to guarantee that. That was His main message. The kingdom of God is among you. Repent. Turn. Be forgiven of your sin. That's available. That's the heart of God. And you can, you can proclaim that. You can experience that. And you can proclaim that. Alright, let, um, let me summarize. Wherever you're at today, wherever your mind, however your mind is wired up, maybe you're more of a rational thinker. 
And you, your, your mind does go down these alternatives. And you, you do wrangle with those. I want to encourage you to take a look at the thoughts and the worldview behind your doubts. Because doubts really are following a set of assumptions. Well, maybe, you know, maybe the Bible really isn't true. Maybe it's not trustworthy. Maybe this was just all made up. You know, maybe it's just a, a, a lie concocted by these guys together. You know what? That's something that's, that's nagging on the back of your brain. And you ought to follow that through. Get some of these resources and walk, and walk through them. My own journey of faith, I came to Christ as a senior in high school out of crisis. Two years later at San Jose State, I had an intellectual crisis of faith because I had nothing to back it up. I had people coming to me, professors at San Jose State, saying, oh, you know, the Bible's just, you know... Good, good feelings. What's important is that you believe, not that it's true. And I, that threw me into a tailspin. So, so again, uh, get some of those rational arguments. Get some ammo into, under your belt. Overwhelming emotions. Some of you may be in a tailspin or have trouble with the gospel because of hurt, because of emotion, because of fear. Then again, those are things to walk through and say, Jesus, what is it about this fear or this hurt that I don't think you're big enough to handle. Is it possible the God that you think is too small to take care of your need in the way you think it ought to be done might be big enough to take care of it another way? Just something to think about. Personal relationship. Now, that's, that's, that's where it begins. A life of faith begins with saying yes to Christ, allowing Him to come in, to walk with you through these issues. And that's when He begins to reveal Himself to you. And you begin to hear the sound of His voice. Remember John 10? About the sheep? They hear His voice. They know Him. They call, he calls and they come. And that wonderful relationship can take place. And even in that process, gang, it's going to cost. It's going to cost you. And you will come to the place where you say, Man, is it worth it? And I want to encourage you that whatever you think it's going to cost you... In fact, I just read this in my quiet time the other day. God will repay... 60, 80, 100 fold um, in this world and the world to come. And then, lastly, don't miss this, about spiritual direction and power. It's about not just keeping this to ourselves, but then allowing others to be a part of God's um, amazing good news and the resurrection truth. So, join me in a word of prayer as we close. Lord, thank you so much uh, for giving us a picture of Mary and, uh, and her doubts and her failures and her questions and... Uh, thanks for guys like Thomas. Uh, can't wait, Lord, to hear um, how, uh, how we unwrap this story of a guy who just had to see. And then, Lord, your promise about those who would believe without seeing. And that's us. And, and Lord, if it was easy, and if we're just black and white, then I, I guess maybe everybody would be Christian. But it's not. It is a step of faith. It's assurance of things hoped for. It's conviction of things not seen, as the book of Hebrews tells us about. So God, walk along with us in this journey of faith. Walk along with us in this, 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 um, this wrangling with these issues. And uh, we, we do pray, God, that we'd be stronger and more in love with you as a result. In Christ's name.